0: make sure this is working I think it's tradition too that says uh, there's a loving God that will express itself through our group conscience so what is this but the group conscience yeah we get together and uh, individually we may not be happy today and maybe many of us could be deemed as assholes to other peoples yeah And, and maybe we wouldn't like each other one on one but when we get together something magnifies in this presence that's sweet yeah that's that loving presence, you know, that that thing that's moving through this group consciousness, consciousness. Well, you can have it in a singular way. If you want to call it singular, you know, and that's basically what the uh, the sense of presence is. It isn't an experience; it's a state that you're in that sort of influences your experiences. Yeah, but if it's just an experience, that's that's that doesn't really have any value. You know? Those will come and go. But the presence isn't an experience, it's more of a state. Yeah? And then again, it infuses its effects through your experiences. So it's like you'll see the fruits of the tree, but not at the tree. You'll tell the tree by the fruits, yeah? You'll see by the demonstrations, or you'll get an intimation of, of nothingness by what's happening in your own life. Yeah? Yeah, so. So when I, um, You know, my golden years were like between two and four. It was a very nice time in my life. <laughs> Everything was really bright, literally bright, brighter. I mean, the whole background of the screen was brighter. Uh, my parents looked much happier, and a lot of other things. And then uh, I grew into a state of introspection, of you know, mental activity. Before, the activity may have been just starting and didn't have enough momentum yet. So I was truly engaged with the conscious contact going moving through the five gates. Yeah. It was hearing, feeling, seeing, tasting, touching. When I was playing, I hadn't had time constructed yet, so I couldn't worry about will I be playing next week because I had no idea of next week. You know, So I was here because my mind uh, hadn't entertained yet, it could be somewhere else, which is only seemingly so, but that's what most of us, the mind does. It seemingly vacates here. It can't leave here, but it seemingly vacates. When I was a kid, that hadn't been entertained yet. So I was here because there was nowhere else I could be. And so spontaneity and all that wonder and awe was available, which I think is just pregnantly available to all of us. It's just based on the condition of your mind. Yeah, That mind will attract will certain aspects that want to manifest and other my aspects of my mind, other minds like alcoholism will attract other aspects that want to express like vindictiveness and let's say smallness and anxiety and paranoia yeah yeah we're just a real in a sense we're in a we're a situation that is like a transmitter and a receiver at the same time
1: yeah
0: and it's really based on where your mind is resting so In AA, obviously, they they believe that the root of the problem was the obsession with self. And there's a statement in step four, well, maybe we'll start with just this. So what happened was I ended up in 1985 in San Francisco pretty washed up. I was an intravenous drug user. I was living some of the statements of AA, like a day at a time. I was living that, and I was living think, think, think quite a lot, you know what I mean, <laughs> but uh, the only thing I was thinking about was me and what was going to happen to me, and I uh, I ended up having to go into a drug and alcohol program called Lancy Street, they have, a, they have some in New York City too, I think, and uh, all I wanted was a place to stay that night, I had lost the rent money of the place I was living, as so I had used it to overdose the night before, and I didn't want to face a landlady, so I ran out of that apartment. Uh, around 5.30, and I didn't know what to do, so I walked down to this program, which I knew about because a girlfriend of mine a few months ago tried to drop me off there. <laughs> she became my, became my ex-girlfriend very quickly when I found out what it was, but I remembered it. And at this point, I was not in a good situation, so I thought about it I said, I'm going to go down there. So I walked about 40 blocks, and I got there at 6.00. And I walked in, and I, there was a bench that you would sit on if basically you were giving up on life, you know, coming onto the sidelines. You should be in a malleable position, you know, you know, because you're pretty much washed up. So I sat on that bench, and you have to wait for them to interview you to see if they want to accept you or not. Uh, there was a big clock across the way, and, uh, and I was looking at, at that, and it's said 6 o'clock. And I said to myself, because I'm in this dream world of me, you know, like a little video that was actually not reality TV, you know, just fantasy. And I said to myself, I'm going to give them the 6.30 to see me or I'm out of here. <laughs> i had a lot of important engagements to give. <laughs> I really had nowhere to go. I didn't have a pot to piss in. I was totally washed up. But I'm assuming that I wasn't where I was. So around 6.24... They called me into this room and they started asking me questions. A lot of it I wasn't really listening to, but I heard this one. They said, "Do you want a place to stay tonight?" And that's <laughs> what I wanted. Yeah, I wanted sanctuary. So I said, "Yeah." And they said, "You need to. You, you have to make a two-year commitment." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I said,
0: uh, "I said sure. You know, absolutely no intention of fulfilling the commitment. All I wanted was that one night. You know? But uh, so they accepted me." when they released me to the mass population of Delancey Street. And uh, I stayed there two years. And I actually, I'm not proud of it, but I actually thrive in an institutional setting. I do really great when someone else is telling me what to do. I went to college there, and I did had a lot of responsible roles. And uh, But after about 12 months or so of the program, I was sensing that there was something I needed so I was asking a lot of the old timers because some people live there the rest of their life yeah? so I was asking them about something and none of them knew it was in there so I just figured that they don't have actually what I need I don't know exactly what it is but they just don't seem to have it I've asked everyone from the top person down so I uh, started to rely on my head again and my head told me what my problem was which was narcotics and that was true but it made a little bit of an amendment that I could probably drink yeah. Now, I didn't run this by anyone in the program. <laughs> I just filed it in my head, and I went on my merry way doing what they were telling me to do, but this was just biding its time, you know. So at the 20-month mark, they said, listen, you want to stay here five more years, or do you want to enter a workout program? If you work out for four months and you fulfill all the requirements, then you'll be graduated. You'll have 24 months, and you can leave. You'll be a graduate. I said, yeah, I want to do that. So I had to get a job, I had to open up a checking account, I had to buy a car, I bought a little Toyota Corolla, you know, and they'd get my money, help me save the money, and then at the four-month mark I had to look for a place to stay, so I did, I fulfilled everything they were asking of me, and I started looking for a place in San Francisco. And uh, I found a place, really nice, uh, Larkin and Philbit, looking over the bridges, you can see both bridges from Golden Gate and the Bay, and uh, there's two young girls there, it's pretty inexpensive I could afford it, really nice. Uh, you know, I was looked pretty good. I had khaki pants and a blue blazer. I I Used in two years, and uh, I said, "You know, my realtor was Dr. Jekyll. They liked him, but Mr. Hyde was going to be moving in." I had no idea that Mr. Hyde was going to be moving in because the Street had been telling me that that period of Mr. Hyde, rather long, or rather long, was over. I was going to be Dr. Jekyll from now on, but I had a strong suspicion they weren't correct and it proved to be true, because as soon as I left Delancey Street, I started to feel irritable restless and discontent sitting in this little apartment, and Mr. Hyde basically took over, and I got in my Toyota Corolla and drove down to a bar in California to poke called the Rose and Thistle. Used to call it The Nose and Sniffle. <laughs> I bought a lot of drugs there. So I walked in there armed with this idea that I can drink and I had a and the bartender hadn't been getting my newsletter, you know, but I was so self-obsessed, I'm thinking he knows me, he's going to say no, you can't, but he just I put the money down, he gave me a beer. I had my first beer in two years and nothing happened. I had an impunity, you know. So what happened? I ordered another beer and halfway through the second beer, it wasn't enough for me. I wanted more whatever that more is to you for me so maybe it's more alcohol but for me it's more of something else so i looked around the place and there was a guy who felt more when i used to be there and he was still dealing more so i bought some more mm. went out to my corolla which i lost two days later <laughs> <laughs> i did a line of more and a it was like that movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson when it comes to the bathroom door at the end. Here's Johnny. It was just like that. I was totally possessed. Okay. You know, Which that's how I see alcoholism. I see it as a parasitical movement or a possessive type mental wind. So it took me over again. I went on a 10-month run and then I washed up on the shores of AA 10 months later. I've been clean and sober since. 25 years or so now. And... Uh, It was a regular day at the office when I was drinking the last day I had given up all hope basically I just spent two years in a program I had a lot of hope that it was never going to be like it was and it was worse you know and I just was really in you know that pitiful incomprehensible demoralization I tried my best it looked like you know I went to college all this it had no I had no defense against what was gonna happen you know just take it over like that and uh you know, so I was just sitting, the day it happened, I was in a trailer park outside of San Francisco, not thinking about anything but how I could survive and get money to do, do some more, so to speak, and I was drinking Royal Gate Vodka, which is a cheap vodka in California, you probably have it by another name around here, it's like 80 cents a pint, and I was passing this bottle of vodka back and forth with this to this guy who I didn't know, you know, just, I was waiting for a mutual acquaintance maybe, come have some money. He had a big bulbous nose and very close veins on his face. And I, and I looked at him and I said, this guy is a freaking bum, you know. But lo and behold, it looked like it. He was looking at me like I was a bum. <laughs> and that was the moment of clarity for me. Mm. And what it was, was something something stopped my mind for about three or four minutes. I had no idea that was possible because it had been so busy for so long. To have it stop. And uh, it was like a portal opened, and it was like a... The first uh, translation that came through was like a giant... It was like a CNN newsflash. No story, just a big headline. And the headline was, I'm screwed, yeah? Yet yeah, I'd been screwed for quite a while, but I had no idea how screwed I was. But this information was informing me how screwed I was. And it was very freaking sobering, you know? mm-hmm. and I've never picked up another drink since then so far. So I did, suddenly all this new information came into my head, like, not have, say no to the next pass. And then I went left to it and went to a phone booth and I called the program I had been in to Lancy Street to see if I could come back in it's just something is up you know and i and they had been getting my newsletter for the last 10 months and they said no you can't come back you gotta maybe in a month and come back for another interview and i said the first honest thing i would said in 10 months and that is i don't think i have a month you know i could just feel it was very terminal you know? things were not going to turn out well <laughs> so i um called up another lady I used to party with in the city and she, she must have heard the humility in my voice and she decided to try to help me one more time and she drove up to this place which is an hour and a half drive in an hour and a half I had an alcoholic miraculous recovery wanted Hi. to get loaded again yeah. thank God she wouldn't buy it and she made me a deal just like Delancey Street did she says you want a place to stay tonight and I said yeah that's what I want because I know where to go no money just washed up and she, she says you've got to go to an AA meeting. So I sound, that sounded easy to me. One hour was the last time I had the deal. I made a deal. <laughs> I said, <was> sure. <laughs> for sanctuary, I'll stand on my head for an hour. So I, I went to a men's meeting. She didn't even go in. She just dropped me off and picked me back up at night. And I've been sober ever since. And uh, that portal, even though it seemed to have closed only after about five minutes, a solution that came through that portal has been a living one for 25 years. Its momentum is almost like electro magnetic. It infuses its own momentum on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, and that's what happened. And so it was a regular day at the office. I'd given up all hope. I mean, all hope. I wasn't looking to get sober, yet something had a different plan. And so I started going to meetings. And then, uh, like, I spent the two years in Delancey Street, and I saw that I didn't like them and the way they did things, but my life looked a whole lot better with them running it than me, so I had the third step as an intimate experience. Yeah. And so I, uh, the first step was that I was powerless, and my life had become unmanageable. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky for me, because the way I heard it from where my head was, it sounded like the unmanageability was ba- was caused by my drinking and using. Yeah? So I, I pinned a lot of my problems on the drinking and using, and I had many rude awakenings when the problems still arose after I hadn't <laughs> drank and used for a year, two, five, six years. Yeah, So I, I, much, I much rather how they state, they state it in the how it works, where they get to the end and they go, you have to be convinced of these three pertinent ideas, and your experiences before and after, meaning before you're sober and after you're sober, Right, verify it, and the first one is that I'm an alcoholic and I cannot manage my own life. That makes that sounds a lot clearer to me, because it points out that I am not managerial quality. Yeah, before I had a drink, way before I had a drink, and after. And actually, you could construe that my drinking was one of my solutions to alcoholism. Yeah, when I was a kid, I found drinking as a solution to the alcoholism. I got a little relief. From the unbearable obsession with self, I didn't care what a girl said a little, when she said hello to me in school, what she meant by it for five hours anymore. I didn't care what my batting average was. I didn't take it personally when someone got up from the stands when I was up at plate anymore. Things like that weren't happening now Yeah. so the first thing is the powerless yeah is. That is, it's tricky because I believe the real active aspect of alcoholism in most of our lives right now is nothing to do with the powerlessness, it's to do with the manageability. Because I believe why life is unmanageable in my case is my managing. Yeah? My managing produces unmanageability. If I'm willing to see that it's a failed system, and I mean the 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 problem in a sense is systemic. Yeah? The problem of reliance on self is systemic. It's a failed system. Yeah, That's why it says in the fear inventory, it says, why are you in so much fear today? You ask us a question. And obviously, if it was up to us and we had a chance to say why we were in fear, the book would have been about 400,000 pages, You know, because everyone really is talking about why, what's causing fear. And he says, no, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So he's pointing out to us the system of reliance on self is a failed system, and if you put your faith in it, or if you follow it, it's going to produce anxiety. Yeah? And what were we other than a devotee to the thought system when we were out there? Whatever the head was telling me, I took it as the God honest truth. It was like the Greek oral to, oracle to me. Yeah? It told me how you were, how you were going to be, how you are. It told me how I was, how I was going to be. It told me how everything was going to be. Yes, You can't be more relied on than that. Yeah? And that's where, to me, the relying on self demonstrates. It's in your mind's reliance on the thought system that it's hearing. The hearing has shifted into listening. And that's the bonding. You're going to, because of consciousness, you're going to hear it. But the thing is, the intent is the listening. That's when you've stepped over it and then now you're believing the system. And that's how it can screw you. Because it's your own fate that's going to produce the anxiety about yesterday and today and tomorrow. Yeah. So I came in, I admitted I was powerless, the drinking stopped, it hasn't started again, but then I got to see the real dilemma, which is the managing. Yeah? And then I wasn't managerial quality. And I realized, I watched people who would, um they would give up everything except one thing, and that's where the selfing would surround, yeah? Like flies would go to shit. Let's say if it was a woman, she wouldn't, she wasn't willing to give up her body image to God. She wanted to work out and make sure this and that. And then all her anxieties and fears, feelings of resentment and threats were all around that topic. And yeah? so it's everything and so when I was young when I first was in the program anything that was important to me I immediately surrendered because I knew that would be like a a magnet to the thought system yes to start trying to manage I knew it so as soon as I would do like ritualized surrenders I had big Buddha statues and I'd write it out and I'd date it and I'd put it on the Buddha like I'm turning this relationship over to the care of this higher power yes and then I'd take it out a couple weeks later and see hey I'm doing a lot better and so, the, see, the thing is, my coming to believe, the second step, to me, is observational. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I followed the suggestions that I was getting when I first came in. And what happened when I first came in? Hope was instilled. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So before I had the faith in the failed system, now I was hoping that there was another way. So when people said, come back the next day, I said, yeah, all right, I hope you're right. I'll come back. Okay. And they said, get a commitment. People who do service, stay sober. I said, okay, I hope you're right. So I started making decisions based on hope. But because AA delivers the goods, it turned into a belief very quickly. So I I came to believe a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. And the sanity the big book's talking about is the insanity that precedes the first drink. That's the beginning. It's not about all the other insanities we're experiencing. It's the insanity that precedes the first drink. That's what the 12 steps takes away. Now, you'll see a lot of other insanities are connected to that one. But that's not the promise in AA. The promise is you will be restored to sanity about the insanity preceding the first drink. In other words, you will have a defense against the first drink. Yeah? And everything starts there. Yeah. The first drink is what gets you drunk. Yeah. All those statements. So that's what A provides. So the second step for me was an observational step. I looked at what I'd been doing. I hadn't drank in three weeks. Yeah? And I watched a lot of people who I would have partied with and they weren't partying anymore. And I came to believe that the power greater myself was restoring me to sanity because it was concerning the first drink. I mean it wasn't a leap of faith. There was nothing I had to do. I just watched you know, I followed some suggestions, and these were the results. So that was step two to me. Yeah, purely observational. Now you can start if you look at what we say in AA that listen, God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Why not expand that circle and put more in what you can't do for yourselves? Yeah, the whole point of AA it 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 introduces us to principles. Why limit the the uh, the perspective of that allow it to expand see if god can do for you what you can't do for yourself let's admit i can't do much yeah why not why wouldn't we want to just compartmentalize the principle of what we've been shown just to deal with alcohol and drugs when it can be expanded yeah that's like you ever hear the statements in spirituality that you'll see you can see the whole ocean in one drop that's a mind expanding on a principle you see one drop of the ocean and you get the whole ocean, yeah? You see one statement that you're not managerial quality. You have one event that, that proves it. I bet you you can expand on that and say on a carpet level, I'm not managerial quality. You know, it's not like I'm good really here and good really there. You can be a manager at a business and yet you can't manage life, yeah? So to me, second step is just purely observational. The third step... Is the, supposedly the major concept in AA, which is turning one's will and life over to the care of a high, higher power of your own understanding. Yeah, but if you read that, and it talks about it's the archway to freedom, it's the keystone, you know, of the archway. So every every all the other concepts of AA principles rest on that one. But it says when you get to it in the in the book, it says first, to quit. First, you have to quit playing God. Yeah. And if you look at the program as a linear progression, first comes before next. (laughs) It says first you have to quit playing God. Then next in this drama of life, God is going to be the director. We're going to be his children. So first is quit playing God. Why? Because if you don't realize what's playing God, yes? And when you do the third step, step, that's what we'll be claiming to be the one who did the third step. And then you'll have this experience, which many people have in AA, which is, I surrendered it, and then I took it back, and then I surrendered and take it back. It's just unbelievable. Instead of entering a state of surrendered, where you're convinced, Yeah. You've made a sober assessment, you're not managerial quality, and the mind shifts into a state of surrender. Now, it's not as exciting as surrendering and taking it back. And
1: <laughs>
0: it's not as dramatic, really. It's not romantic. You're not going to be at that clip with your hair blowing with your six ex-girlfriends thinking he's getting better when you make a decision to surrender. It's just going to be, you're going to be traveling lighter a day at a time. Yeah? because you will be stabilized in the solution. How It's how could it, like, if, let's say that in this sense, the, the sense of self, or if you want to call it you, the idea of you, is playing God. So you're like a bully in the playground. You have a bag of candy. You give it to a little kid and you say, hold it. And any time you want it back, you come and give me that candy back. So the, actually the biggest God isn't the God you're surrendering it to. It's the God that thinks it's surrendering. Because the God that thinks it's surrendering reserves the right to sort of take it back. Yeah, there's no real solution in that. Because what happens, you like to play. Oh, I forgot to surrender, and then you get the drama, and maybe you get into a bad relationship, or you sleep with your friend's wife, and then it's, and you and maybe you expected that you're always going to get to the point of surrendering it. It may not happen. I've seen people who played around. I've seen a lot of people go out after 20 years and that sense of connection to a higher power is not available anymore. They're not accessing it. They're like drying up. I can watch them drying up. What they were taking to be a given it wasn't a given anymore. Yeah? And this was like 20 years, 25 years of sobriety. Now they've gone into two detoxes, they're in and out of meetings, they're drinking. Yet they had 20, 18 years of like incredibly traveling lighter. Wherever your mind is resting on is going to demonstrate, it's going to express from there. If you have faith in the failed system, you're going to live in time and in a lot of anxiety. You're going to believe every thought that comes through the noggin. You're going to be listening to that crazy weather, man, and all your closets of life are going to be filled with rain gear Because you're going to be freaking afraid. When you hit pet peace, you won't be able to enjoy it. How can you enjoy peace if you're driven by time? If, if peace arrived right now, what your mind would think, what could happen very easily, is the mind would think, well, will it be here tomorrow? That's not the ability to enjoy peace. The peace is available, but you can't access it. Yeah? there's peace of mind it's not about achieving peace of mind the one of the qualities of mind is peace yeah it's about accessing there was a, there was an old movie i really loved called man facing southwest it's about an alien who, it's from argentina it's about an alien who comes to the planet and the alien Figures the best place he could hide would be in an insane asylum. No one would find him there. Yeah. So he goes. He goes to an insane asylum, and he's, and this doctor who's very very uh, morose. You know, he's had a bad divorce or something. And he plays saxophone at night, drinking whiskey. But he's the psychiatrist. He's like the healer that's going to heal this this alien. <laughs> it was the opposite actually? So the alien and they're talking to him, and he's telling him about the planet he came from. But every day the alien has to walk around the grounds and find a spot so he can access the higher power, the energy so he'd stand there for about an hour or two and then he'd have enough juice to deal with all the insanity that <laughs> was happening in this world yeah and they kept wanting to give him pills and he would hide the pills and he'd be walking around and he'd access it and he was vibrant and when someone was, he saw walking by was cold he'd take off his jacket and the psychiatrist was writing that down like, he's insane why is he doing this but he's just doing like what true, like a true Christian would do constantly yeah and this seat the guy was totally thinking was a great neuroses you know he <laughs> was just nice and everything like that. So, once, after a while, they they start shooting him up in the ass. Mm. Yeah? And he can't, he's going out into the field and he can't access. He's walking around, you know? Mm. And then this place starts having huge effect on him. Mm. You know? A huge effect and it basically kills the spirit. You can't kill the spirit, but it so so much diminishes it because he can't get the access point. That's what happens with us. Yeah? That portal that opened up in my life, that download, even though it seemed in time only to be five minutes, it's been a living, thriving solution for twenty-five years. Why not look at it? You know? Why not honor it a little? That nothingness. Yeah. You know? So the third step for me, I got to a point where, turn my will, and my life to the care of a higher power, of my own understanding. That came to a point where I realized the higher power was always available at all times, right where I am, with no requirement to meet it. That was it. But then it changed even then, to a point that I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of a higher power of its own understanding. Okay. So in other words, now I'm in a position of I don't know what the hell's going on, basically. And therefore, I have, I'm relegated to finding out. So I find out about this higher power. I don't frame it with my small understanding. I let it express its own understanding of itself. Yeah? That's awesome to me. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. So, that's the third step in a way. The fourth step is, <laughs> for me, it's, it's stated so beautifully clearly in the book. It says, at the fourth step, being convinced, which the word convinced means to believe with certainty, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us let that sink in being convinced that self manifested in all these different ways is what has defeated us so it separates the two us is all of us and self, separate being convinced of that that self manifesting in all these ways fear, whatever you want to talk resentments, they're all manifestations of self yeah is what has the feed of us, we will now look at its, meaning self's, common manifestations, the common ones. You know, let's not deal with all of them right yet. The common ones. And in the next paragraph it says resentment. Yeah. So obviously if you read it this, with this logic, which I can't see it meaning anything else, a resentment is an expression of self in your life. Yeah. Now how is self expressing, how does self have the chance to express in your life through you how does it have it? how does that thought system of self have so much carte blanche to express some of it or so much of its own expressions through you and every time it expresses through you you call it yours so when fear is expressed to you you call it your fear you can't be more identified as self than that that's called the act of being identified as self. Self is nothing like a chair that you're bonded to. It's a bondage of. Bondage to would be, I'm bonded to this. Yeah? Then you could probably find out what's doing it and get a locksmith, a spiritual locksmith that could unlock it. But we're not bonded to a damn thing. It's bondage of self. Selfing is an activity of mind that we become bonded. By the activity. That's how it happens. It's the activity and your belief in it that binds you. The activity cannot bind you alone. You make the leap. Yeah? So it says, so here, if you look at it this way, the inventory process is taking a look at how self-defeated us by looking at self's common expressions in life. Resentment, fears, and harming other people. You look at your sexual behaviors because there's a lot of meaning in that, yeah? You know? So we do this introductory inventory to see what? To see the patterns of how self has defeated us. So what may not happen? So maybe the defeat will not continue. Because if we we really see the patterns of self, when they show up in our lives again, they will be seen, and maybe, just maybe, we won't make the mistake of claiming them to be ours. We'll see it's a foreign installment. It's like a story I use. There's a guy who has a beautiful, beautiful lawn, like here, out here, yeah? He loves it. He runs around in it all day without his shoes in the morning, <laughs> in the morning dew, and he has, he has like, you know, tournaments, lawn bowling, and he has a lot of picnics. He loves it out there. He's had hammocks and things, and one day he jumps out to jump in, and he steps on the lawn, and he steps into some shit, you know? So the first thing that goes is he's got to wear shoes now, yeah? So now he goes back, and gets some shoes on, and he starts walking around. And he notices there's a lot of shit all over the lawn, yeah? Starting to smell and everything like that. And he, I mean, a lot. So he says, what am I going to do? Of course, like an alcoholic, well, I'll just ignore it for a while. So he goes back in, comes out a few hours later, it smells even worse, and there's more. So now, what does he do? He just closes the door, pulls the shades down, yeah? And he starts figuring, he starts buying pictures of lawns, puts them up, has <laughs> people who have the same problem come over and reminisce how great it was to have a lawn, you know? Have the use, cancel all the picnics and everything like that, yeah? And then one day a guy comes in and knocks on the door and says, hey, I heard you had a problem. And I go, yeah, I do. He says, what it about the lawn? He said, yeah. He says, get a pooper scooper, alright? And I said, well, baby, I better get two. And he says, if you get really good, you may be able to have a little bit of the lawn for maybe 10 minutes, maybe by two by five feet, but at least, you know, you have a standing up picnic, no laying down or sitting, you know? But at least you'll get a little bit, but you've got to be really vigilant. Yeah? So this guy gets, he's gung ho, and he starts scooping up the stuff. And then other people who have the same problem hear about this guy, and they're calling him for advice and everything, and some of them are saying, why don't you write a book, you know? really good oh yeah I think so and he becomes like a circuit speaker he's a circuit speaker talking about cooper scooping and he's got autographed scoopers and he's trying to say this he'd write a book and now he's pretty famous yeah so uh, <laughs> another guy comes to his house one day knocks on the door I said, and he said hey I heard you have a problem he says no I don't have a problem I said, what about the shit? He says, oh, I'm a fucking circuit speaker. Jesus Christ, I can clean up shit faster than the shit almost, that it can can land. Isn't that? And he goes on and on and on. Now he's very invested with the shit, basically. He's an expert on the shit. And so it's much harder to see (laughs) what the real problem is. So then the guy goes, okay, and he's walking out the door. He says, just find the dog. (laughs) What? Just find the dog. The shit's coming from the dog. You get rid of the dog, hence you get rid of the shit. Yeah. The problem with us, we take ourselves to be the dog. Therefore we get therapy for it, we try to socialize it, we try to send it to uh, polishing schools, we try to lie for it, try to make our lives smaller, to placate it, instead of fucking just realizing it's not you. Yeah? <laughs> you see it as a dog, you're apt to want to get rid of it. But if you see it as you, you'll never be able to entertain that possibility, except killing yourselves, which many people do. And usually when people kill themselves, they don't shoot themselves in the elbow or anything, they shoot themselves in the head, because they want to kill that sound up there. They want to kill that parasitical tendency of alcoholism. So they have, they feel like they have to go with it, basically, to end it, They're so identify Yet what would happen, this is what happened to me, when I saw, when my mind shifted, or whatever you want to call it, I saw self in a whole new light, and that light told me it's a foreign installment. Yeah, It's a foreign installment. It's a parasitical movement. It's not me. And as soon as I entertained it's not me, I realized I can be free of it. And I started entertaining that possibility, and it's bore fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start knowing the problem, if you want to call it that, from the solution. Just like you know the problem somewhat underneath it, but it's, that's not that knowledge is like being a professor of holes who keeps falling in holes. It's not. It's it's or if that knowledge is been claimed by self, and it will avail you nothing, because the movement of self in its greatest movement is the claim. So if you learn anything about self. It's going to be construed as a self, and it's not going to lead you to freedom from sin. You're just going to have more information of how bad it is. But in this way, you see that that isn't so. That those expressions aren't yours. They're not your fears. They're not your resentments. They're the expressions of a thought system called self that has become dominant and has taken you and me over. That's why in an AA room, you listen to people. I don't identify with who you are. I identify with what's taking you over. It's the same thing that's taking, taking me over. And I, we, we share about what it's like to live under that tyranny, and we find solace in the commonality of our plight. Yeah? How could these thoughts that I held to be mine, how can you have them? How can the feelings I only call to be my feelings, I've heard tons of alcoholics share my feelings in tons of meanings all around the world. And I've shared their, my heinous reactions to life, I've heard them share their heinous reactions to life, which were quite similar to mine. So I ran into a thing after a few months of listening to people, that how did did you get my thoughts, (laughs) or they're not my thoughts, yeah? How did you get my feelings, they're not my feelings, and they're not your feelings. In a sense, they become our feelings because we've been taken over by the same parasitical movement that does, doesn't have an infinite amount of characteristics. It has a very set, uh, finite number of characteristics that have been expressing through us for quite a while. And thank God a book came about, and thank God some grace and life came here in 1935 that the fucking parasite was revealed to some extent because we were hopeless before then. We were getting, we were being stuck up in attics. Oh, that's just Uncle Fred. Don't go up there. The people were getting lobotomized. They were going to jail. Even in read the Psalms, they didn't know what to do with winos back then in the Old Testament. Yeah, and yet now a solution has dropped in to this possibility here. And there's tons of grace involved, and tons of freaking grace in the AA. There's so much juice. I've met a lot of groups, non-duality groups. There's nothing compared to the grace in AA. Non-duality is a groups are festering another addiction, a spiritual addiction. They need 28 day programs, but they call them retreats. Mistake. They need a, a, a retreat. They need a retreat from retreats. They, all their self-help books got to be taken away, and their DVD machines shut off. Really, you see it. My girlfriend in San Francisco. She had never heard of anything spirituality. She's come to the talks for four years she has a very good sense of it and when she comes to groups that are very spiritual professionals she just sees suffering it's so simple to her it's not it's not a big blown up deal it's she's just traveling lighter and that traveling lighter initiates more entertaining of what's allowing her to travel lighter very 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 clear very very pragmatic very very dog shit awareness type and i see the value in that quite a lot yeah so the fourth step for me is writing out an inventory so that you can see the pattern of how you were defeated. So then when the defeat is occurring in the past, in the future, after you, well, let's get to the fifth step. You share it with you, with someone else, and that power. It's a trinity. You just don't share it with another person. You, you, you beseech that power to be there. Yeah? Because the power is the juice that's driving AA. It isn't the 12 steps. The twelve steps are here to diminish a mental condition. The spiritual condition's already so. Yeah? Nothing's producing a spiritual condition. We are a spiritual condition. We're just not accessing it because we're up the ass of self. Yeah? We need a diminishing of a mental condition, and AA brings you out of yourself through humility and service and this and that, and getting out of yourself diminishes the mental state, so what's obvious becomes obvious to you, which is its only value. It's not valuable if it's just obvious if it's not to you. Not in your life. It's not valuable. Its value is applicable to you. You know? You can say everything is all this and all that, but if there's no access to it, it's not producing any value in your life. You've got to be accessing it. You've got to be like that man facing southwest. You've got to be allowing the downloads to occur. Yes? just It's not good enough to say, oh, there is this infinite space. That's a conceptual idea. This is a tactile finding out about it. Yeah? Every day, you become the living book. Which it is. The living, it's not a living book. It's your living mind that gives it meaning. When my mind shifted, I had been teaching the Sportsnet Workshop for 19 years. Well, at that point, about nine years. You know, every Monday night in San Francisco. And I had read how it works a lot of times in the process of doing this. As, and then I was reading after this thing started to happen I was reading the same chapter I would read tons of times and all this new meaning was being downloaded and the biggest one was with the word self parasitical movement foreign installment it was just I saw the alienness of it which opened up the doors to freedom from it you can't have freedom as it you cannot have and you're not going to See, it will co-opt and claim your urge to be free, and you'll try to be free as it, which is another form of bondage. Don't you see see it? Yes? It will take the most noble endeavor and claim it and use it for its own benefit, to reflect its own loveliness all day. You'll be obsessed with how you look in your whites and your petroleum oil and your goddess look. Maybe practice your loving gaze. So the fifth step, I shared it with this person and now I've done a lot of fifth steps which is holding the space. And what you do is you just point out the patterns of how self defeats you. yes, And hopefully lead back to where those patterns are issuing from which is the bondage of self which is based in the petri dish of reliance on self. It's a very simple statement and as Bill sees it it says, fear is the activator of the character defects. Yeah? Fear is activ- the activator of the character defects. And now let's take it a little farther. The character defects activate behaviors, yeah? Actions. And those actions activate consequences. Yeah? Those consequences may not be so good. You go back and you're back in the fear again, activating more defects of characters. Who isn't going to want to get relief from that loop? Who the hell isn't going to be motivated to get loaded? Yeah? Who the hell isn't? But if you take it back a step, Father, what's activating the fear? Well, he said it to us very clearly. Self-reliance. He says, why do you have so much fear today? Simple statement. Isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? Bingo. There's his diagnosis. Take it back. All right, so reliance on self is the petri dish that allows fear to grow in my life. Yeah? Fear is the petri dish to allow the defects of character to grow. The defects of character are petri dish that allow some crazy behavior to grow. The crazy behavior attracts consequences. yeah, I don't like any of this, and my only solution because I seem to always go back to the fear because I'm never questioning that so I get and I'm in that loop I'm going to get one and get high. We're talking about going to the first knot. let's say if in your whole line of life there are different knots, yeah. Let's say there's a the knot of relationship, of health, of shelter, yes. and your concern is there. Some of it's instinctual, a lot of it's mental anxiety, but there's concern that you have a place to stay and this and that and, that and this. But there's also a first knot. I'm saying the first knot is identification as self. Yeah. And I believe that first knot, a thread from that knot goes to all the other knots of your life. If you get unknotted in relationship, it only lasts usually for a month or two, right? You go to a lot of retreats, and then you read a book, and then everything's great. And in three months, you're doing the same thing. You hate the teacher, and you hate the book, and you throw it out. Yeah. Yeah. That that knot may loosen up, but does it affect all the other knots around it? Probably not. It's lucky if it affects the one or two next to it. But this knot, when loosened, affects all the other knots in your life. Yeah. And then you realize that's the source of the dilemma. The source of the Lama is reliance on self. How far has the reliance on self gone? You're identified as self. You can't be more reliant than that. You've, you've, what, you've, you've crossed the line of reliance, crossed the line of obsession to an identification as. yeah. In that identification, it claims to be the one who has all your obsessions. Every obsession you've gone through in this life, it says, I'm the one who had them. That I that you feel has had them is the self thing. That's the feeling of being a self. It's not what you truly are. It's a manufactured mental freaking idea clothed in feeling. It's a sense, a vague feeling that I'm the one who did it. Yeah. Even though the, it says in the first thing you were powerless over alcohol. What would happen if I was powerless over substance and I took it? Fucking possibly anything. Yeah. Yet, we're still mining tons of gu- guilt and shame based on what we did under the influence of alcohol and drugs. You don't see the powerlessness of it? It's like dancing with a gorilla. You stop when it wants to stop. Yet, we're still... The the deeper habit of mine is the identification of self as the doer. So, all the evidence of how powerless you were is still not weakening your claiming the behavior you, you exhibited while you were loaded. Yeah, because you're... T- You're trying to get relief at the third knot. The first knot is where the real relief is. That's where it stabilizes. That's been my experience. And it's been constantly my experience for quite a while. A traveling lighter has stabilized. It's nothing special, but it's a whole lot different than it was. And there's an assuredness in it, because it's rock solid. And it's not me... Participating in it, because if it was, then my, my me would say i wasn't participating in it one day that 's what it would do. If it felt like I achieved it, it would also produce a feeling that I could blow it by not doing something i don 't want any it to have any power over my pro, my, my uh, primary condition. I really don 't want it to be meddling in what's so. <laughs> By make trying to make it not so, or seemingly so, or close to being so, or it was once so. If you really work hard, maybe it will be so again. Screw it. Yeah, just free from that shit. So step six and seven. Yeah, very, only given a paragraph or two in the big book, but six and seven is what you do with when the patterns of selfing are illuminated in your behavior by doing the fourth and fifth. You'll see the pattern sometimes as it's forming. Yeah, and if you can see it when it's forming and you say hey I'm entirely ready to have this it's coming right out of the oven it's the perfect time there's so much pregnant en- energy then it's just ready to patch you're <laughs> catching it right before it spawns and you go I'm entirely ready to have this and your fingers right on it for this I'm entirely ready to have this removed and I humbly ask you to remove this that's six and seven so when the defectors of character are adju- ad- activated by the fear, you watch it and you c- tell the truth before it takes form, before it sets up consequences and behavior and circumstances. Yes? Because then you're on the fly paper, aren't you? You're stuck. You have to... It's, a, it's really hard to get out of the house that you've already moved in and put it, you know you're like paying mortgages, you bought the Tamapeka ter- bed, whatever you got the, all the fountains in it it's very difficult to move out, but if you saw the blueprint of that house and you realized, I'm not a tenant of that it would never formulate you wouldn't have to try to figure out how to get out, you'd realize you were never in there's the solution Yeah. so six and, for me, 6 and 7 is a living thing, I find it really powerful to do it in a meeting because that's that weakness, and that loving presence is magnifying everything. If I'm sitting in a in a meeting and someone's sharing something, and I identify with that defect, I immediately do six and seven. I say I'm entirely ready to have this, what they're speaking about, removed, and I'm, I humbly ask it to be removed. It's got a lot of juice then, so I really love doing. It. You want to get it as soon as you can, because if it's a week, you've already made it something. Yes. You've got, you've be, there's a certain bonding is set up. It's been, now it's your defective character. If you just see it as a defective character, it's much easier to let it go. Once it turns more into yours, there's a lot of hidden agendas. You know, there's a big story in the book called Freedom from Bondage, used to be by a woman who talked about, you know, she had a resentment towards her mother, and her, most of her life she was saying, I'd love to give this up and that and up, and, uh, and then she got sober, and she realized if she doesn't get rid of all these resentments, she's going to drink again. going to She's going to die. And then she realized that this resentment to her mother was really like the, uh, the teat of the golden cow. It was excusing her for her failed marriages, not finishing college. She'd been blaming her mother for so much. She had been nurturing this resentment. She was not willing to let it go. It was, no, she was mining it. That's exactly what can happen when a resentment moves into your resentment. When it moves into your resentment, the selfing is getting something out of it. It's using it. It has an advantage for it. It's not willing to let it go. If it's seen as a resentment, it's much more apt to be gone. Yeah. So six and seven is a living activity. More and more will be revealed, which it will, Yeah. and yet the same principle applies six and seven. So step eight to me was just writing it out, the, the amends I needed to make. And I needed another sort of look at where, because I robbed some stores and there was no fear or resentment concerning those people, but I hurt them, so I owed them amends also. Yeah. So when I did the, the resentment and stuff like that, I followed the four-column thing that Joe and Charlie, you know, you know, Joe and Charlie, the big book seminars, I recommend listening to them. They passed away, but they were great. I really loved, it. I saw, I went to them for the first three years I was sober, then I got it, you know, I didn't have to go back, but I really got a lot out of how they presented the book. And they have, they have these printouts of the four column inventory, and you take, you know, the first column. See, everyone who's in a bar right now is doing the first two columns. They know who their man at and why, yeah, but there's no solution. You have to take it back to where the light comes on you. And AA is just kindergarten. It's just bringing it. If you go back to the reliance on self, you're taking the bat light way back. I'm telling you, way back. You see how much it's changed by just seeing your role in things and telling the truth about it? How much relief has come? Could you imagine if you took that even farther back? The, 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 resent, the inventory is just an introductory inventory so I don't want to go through all the things what you do, but let's say with sex it was very interesting because most of my acting out in sex had nothing to do with sex it had to do with acquiring self-esteem Yeah, nothing to do with sex you know, every time I didn't need to have sex every night but I needed a self-esteem every night and I was getting that from if a pretty woman would let me sleep with her that made me okay that was, that was the equation it was running out every day quicker and quicker, but uh, <laughs> that was it. So I found a lot of things. You think it's one thing, but it isn't. It has nothing to do with it. Self has an agenda going on, like a parasitical agenda. And the thing is, it's an incredible parasite because it it knows that it's a hostile parasite. Most people who live underneath it aren't happy. <laughs> You're not a happy host, are you? <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't think so. You're not, you know. Come to see my pet. You know, it's not, like, it's not like that at all. So it has to have an incredible strategy to keep the host at bay, and its strategy is to convince the host that it's the host. Yeah. How did you do that?
1: That's, it, that's where. I that's
0: out. the selfing. The selfing is talking to you as if you're a doer, as if you're a body as if you are a historical figure as if you have choice yes it doesn't take any consideration about consciousness which is what's in contact here you. you're not in contact you're an afterthought consciousness is in contact through this apparatus this apparatus is just a conductor there's no the conductor in it there's just something moving through yeah the self thing constantly implies and infers and assumes there's someone there yeah, and that someone is like a holograph. It's a picture, usually identified somewhat being in a body or or a body. Yes, and it thinks about you as a body. Yeah? The language is a subjective language used by objects. So, somebody just walked in says you're growing your hair, and the fact that's I'm not doing a damn thing. I'm just not cutting it. You know, I'm not <laughs> taking like three hours a week to grow my hair. You know what I mean? I just, if I don't do anything, it grows. I don't really have, but the language sounds like I'm doing something. Yeah, and you say it very innocently. Hey, you're growing your hair, but innocently over and over and again, you don't see like the trance-like effect. We all play hypnotist for each other with the language. Oh, you're doing that? Or, you're, you're, oh, I didn't feel like I was doing it, but maybe I am. There you go. Once the claiming occurs, the sense of self you feel, and then the sense of self. Activates tons of ideas downloading about yeah, you, about amend. them. Do
1: you, you leave it whatever way? We're four o'clock.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You're all right, right? Thing. It does It all moves into the yeah. same thing. Yes. All right. So let's see. So nine, nine. You just make direct demands to people that you've hurt and harmed. And to me, I think that's the one of the most powerful steps was the ninth step. Yeah. And I've been conveniently avoiding a lot of stuff and pretty successfully and I got onto that nine step and I was just running into people I owed amends and I'd see them on the street and my first impulse was to keep going but then the AA kicked in and I pulled over I said Psh, come over here I owed you 45 bucks for a pay, you know, phone bill I didn't help pay and stuff like that just kept running into so many situations and to make the amends and I'll tell you that's where a real relief came I can explain it very simply there was a place when I was out there using in San Francisco in a place called North Beach. There was a market called Rossi's Market. I used to rob quite a lot to survive. I'd wear a long jacket and I'd take a like a plank steak, put it in the back and two 16 ounce beers here and that would make, allow me to make it to about one in the afternoon. Yeah. Did it like every day for months. Never got caught. So I got sober and I was conveniently forgetting Rossi's Market but there was a good AA meeting in the area and in San Francisco parking is a premium. It's very hard to find a space but every time I went to North Beach I wouldn't even go near that block that Rossi's <laughs> Market was on. And this went on for months, yeah? And then one day I just finally said forget it and I walked in there and I said where's the manager? And they pointed me up to this upstairs I went upstairs and I said hey listen I'm in a program of recovery and before I got into this program I used to live around here and I was stealing a lot of stuff from me. On the store. Alcohol and steak and I'd like to make an amends. And it's very important to say that you're in a program of recovery. So I gave him like 55 bucks. I probably took a lot more, but it was just a demonstration. And the great thing was, as soon as I left after doing that, i have never thought of Rossi's Market again. That's what you get freed from. You get freed from being a storage unit. From all this <laughs> shit that you think you did and all the claiming and all the guilt and shame that you don't want out and all the secrets you gotta keep. There's a lot of security to pay for, which is your interest and attention, being in dead space. Yeah? What happens in AA, it liberates that. So that you actually be more here. And then you realize this is what you were looking for your whole life, is just being exactly where you are. But most of us in alcoholism and addiction, you're, we're in a mental here. We're in a here that's been interpreted, that's a chock full of the past and the future. Yeah? Regrets and worry. And I didn't want to be there for a second. Yet, right, right, where that seemed to be, what really was there, was the solution. The problem was the last place a problem wanted to take me, was right in this moment. Yeah? And if you look at your thought system, where does it rely on? Where, does it, where is its value? Mostly in the past and future. Yeah? Most of us are using this moment to think of, the mind's using this moment to think about a future moment, yeah? or to regret or go back into a past. You can't see the system's value, there. Yeah. So in step nine is you make the amends wherever you can. Some of them I couldn't, so I wrote letters to them and put them in a nightstand, you know, like fairs in in Europe and stuff. And then step ten is you continue to take personal inventory. Yeah? So now you've done your big spring cleaning with the fourth step, so now you just keep taking inventory so that when you go out there to connect with the access, the, 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 the antenna's clean. Yeah? People who think they can meditate after they've just ripped somebody off a half hour before are are fooling themselves. Your mind is agitated. You're not going to find any peace. With selfing as the dominant condition, your mind's basic false nature is agitation. It's desiring to become or unbecome. All freaking, every freaking moment. That's its engine. There's no peace or rest there. It's insane to try to sit down and meditate with that fucking crazy thing going on. Yeah?
1: Um, When you're talking about making amends, can you make a differentiation between that it is you that's making
0: amends? Yes. So you own something? Well, you're accountable. Okay. It's different. Before, I was super responsible. That's what was driving me to avoid everything. When I realized it wasn't me that did it, I became accountable for the actions. And I had an incredible experience with that where I got caught like in a very weird situation where some lady was living next door to where I was visiting and I had my new girlfriend who I was trying to impress and these other people who was a fledgling AA member came in and asked to speak to me and she said hi Paul you owe me $500 she was some lady I lived with and uh She'd give me $500 for the deposit where there was no deposit. It was being deposited in my arm, basically. <laughs> and she had lost weight. I didn't recognize her. And I was caught with my basic pants down, but I had felt no embarrassment or nothing because I realized I would have done it to anyone because I had no power over it. See, I got the aspect of the disease clearly. I realized it not, had nothing to do with me. So now I'm accountable for the actions that occur, but it's not me that's doing them. That, no you mean by downloads?
1: Last year you said something about... Well, know, I, I, I just get data downloads.
0: Data. That's all I can say. John, yeah. i was just happy to see you an old friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get down Downloads occur. That's how I call it. Some of them... about the past? Hmm? Are they sort of... Just no, like nothing you? about anything yeah. like that. There's downloads that either... They're, they're sort of unformed... Uh, you know, messages, and then I share, and then there's other downloads that are different. They're not anything to do with anything. They're just, let's say, energy or something. But I like it that way because that's how it feels to me. You know, like if I'm sitting here, this is my seat assignment, and so I get downloads to share with people. I'm not walking around all day thinking like this. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> or studying, I'm not sitting around trying to figure things out. You know, I, just, I always walk in totally unprepared because that's the greatest way to walk in. Yeah, that to me is faith. (laughs) It's faith in the uncertainty. The uncertainty to me is truly certain. That's how I see it. So, yeah, so that's why I call it download. So, let's say if I'm reading, or sometimes when I'm doing a talk, and then my mind twists something in a different way, and that becomes a download. I see it in a whole new way that sends me off on another riff of something. So, more gets revealed being in this seat assignment position. Because the messenger, the message is way more important than the messenger at all times. I guess yesterday you
1: said it maybe in a negative way. Where you said it. if you had done like a lot of coke right now, you'd get all
0: these. Oh yeah, I'd you had have the downloads. downloads yes, download yes, because downloads of- because that, if I was doing coke, the shift coke, it would probably the shift to reliance itself would occur. And I would get I would get downloads from that system, of course. And look, and most of us are getting downloads of that system, but they're like more horizontal downloads. They're very linear. This is more like an insertion, a vertical. So, you know what I mean? It's, a, it's, a, a, it's like, see, every linear moment that's been separated and compartmentalized by the conditional mind, there's always an inversion of the vertical uh, timelessness. Yeah? There's downloads that are happening this way and then there's downloads coming in on a horizontal way. In self-centeredness, we're usually receiving that band of horizontal downloads. They're here to fuck me. You know. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to lose what I have. What are they thinking of me? All that. you know. This, this doesn't have those. Because this is not coming from self-centeredness. I would say it's coming from centeredness. I don't know why to send it on, but it's definitely not self. So. And it's a vertical insertion. It feels different. When it downloads, yeah, and its information is totally different than the same old, same old of the the other downloads, yeah, yeah. So, and no, oh, step ten. We're gonna do this faster. We'll just rip into the other thing. Step ten is you. Uh, continue to take the inventory and that step 11 actually starts with another inventory you you, you check, take a check again and then it, the thing is about improving your conscious contact with a higher power through prayer yeah? and meditation yeah it's taken in a book where they talk about your, your daily reprieve from the alcoholism is contingent on the maintenance of your spiritual condition but what would happen is if you found yourself to be a spiritual condition wouldn't that be the highest form of maintenance I say it is that's been my experience that's been my experience not based on prayer and meditation but based on it's your condition that you've been praying and meditating around that's what you are it's sort of in one sense if the selfing is still dominant in one way you're taking yourself to be in a body or a body it's like trying to to graft nothingness onto thingness it it doesn't usually take just like when I got run over by a car they tried uh, skin grafts and the damage was so severe skin grafts didn't work they had to do a radical thing and take a whole piece of my back out. In the same way, if the identification as a self casts you as a body, I'm telling you, the thought system sees you as a body, now you're going to be seemingly a body trying to become spiritual. <laughs> you don't see the failedness of that? It's all, The best you can do is graft the spirituality onto a body, or graft it onto a mental idea. But if you're not a mental idea and you're not a body, maybe just maybe you are a spiritual condition. The awareness of that is the highest form of maintenance. Entertaining that is the highest form of maintenance of a spiritual condition. Entertaining it, knowing, it's like Ramana would say knowing God is being God. Yeah? Knowing God is being God. That's that's maintenance of the spiritual condition, being a spiritual condition. Yeah, That's how you really maintain it. That's how it runs beautifully. You don't need to always take it in the garage of meditation and get into a howled place, which is fine if you like them. But if if you're relying on that, then what about all the opposite conditions and circumstances? Will you be unspiritual then? But if you are that, which you may be trying to seek to improve and cultivate, if you are that, then the sense of being that is the way to maintain it. The best speaking way is called entertaining the presence. Yeah. So now in step that's step eleven. And step twelve is you just sort of take on another way of life and another agenda in a sense, which is, you know, helping other people to achieve sobriety and to practice these principles you've learned and are learning in all your affairs. And if you can't at the beginning practice them in all your affairs, limit your affairs. Yeah? Limit your affairs. And and more will be revealed and you'll be able to practice them in more and more of your affairs. And that's the principle of AA. Yeah, that's step 12. That's the living thread that keeps it alive. Yeah. Helping other people achieve sobriety. Yeah. And one way is just holding the space. There's a thing I want to say before we zip, rip into the other thing. Service is a very important thing. Now non-duality groups, I don't see, see much or say much about that. But service in recovery is Part of the triangle it's unity recovery and service it's a huge dimension because it's a tried and true method to get a sense of being out of self influence yeah by helping someone else yeah usually not someone you know like a family member that you know but going out and helping other people you know what i mean so in my experience of service was i i took commitments which were commitments to serve where you would go to places like detoxes or whatever And when I would go there, no matter what condition I was in, emotionally or mentally or physically, when I walked into that meeting, at least in 10 minutes or less, I felt totally different. Yeah? I felt available and I sensed the presence in the room while the service was going on. This happened over and over again. And then one time, but what would occur is that would be one aspect that would be doing service, feeling available, sensing the presence, but then the mind recapitulating and going, But it's me feeling this presence. And then the selfing would get irritable, restless, and it would produce its effects, and then I'd have to do service again to get relief from that, yeah? But it would keep on going. But this one time, I hit the presence, and instead of thinking, I'm sensing that, I realize I'm sensing what I am. I am the presence. I'm having the experience of being this, but I am that. And therefore, if I'm that, that means I'm available. And if I'm available, I'm of service. Now that's totally different than doing service. Just like in AA, let's say you write gratitude lists, and there'll be a point where your attitude will be infused with gratitude. That sense of like in the beginning, I just to have to say a prayer, like the first few years. Every time something good happened, I'd have to say, Thank you, God, that was more than enough. Because I'd start complaining really fast that I didn't get a big enough peace. yeah. So I'd always stop with, Thank you, God, that was more than enough. Then I never had to do it again, because my attitude got infused with gratitude. That's how I see things now. I may not have so many experiences of gratitude all the time, but I'm in an attitude of it, which is much, to me, a much higher form of traveling. If you're just basing everything on experiencing, it's sort of like a consuming. You think that something's going to happen if you have enough experiences. Dave, you, can, you can have tons of experiences. It doesn't mean anything. You can have tons of spiritual experiences. It will not provoke a spiritual awakening. An awakening isn't an experience. It's a state that becomes obvious. It's not, There's no coming and going in there. There's no high and low in there. It can appear in its manifestation as it's moving through you highs and lows, but the fact is it's not a high and low, frequent, infrequent, it was there, now it's gone thing. It's a state. It doesn't need to be, it's not provoked or preceded by spiritual experiences. You can gather tons of spiritual experiences and yet still not be in the obviousness of the, the, the awakening of your innate nature. You can miss it actually by the spiritual experiences, because you think it's got to be something when it's truly nothing, and it's never not—it's never gonna be something. You'll just make it, try to make it something, make it something. It's not gonna change what it is. One iota. It will be constantly nothing, and that's why it's freaking valuable. It doesn't get—it's very hard to truly twist it to your devices for your intentions. You may try and try, but it's very stubbornly something because it's truly nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for the 12 steps. I, sorry, I did a... I could have... Uh, whatever. Whatever. We need more time. We could go for hours. All right, five minutes, and we'll... That
1: was great. Thank you.
0: Go to the next... Whatever. We could go for hours. All right, five minutes, and we'll... That
1: was great. Thank you.
0: Go to the next... Whatever.